how do you mitigate your risk? Montel's forecasting services cover risks from hours ahead to years ahead. We welcome you to hedge your market exposure with our diverse forecasting portfolio. Contact us at sales@montelnews.com for more info and a free trial. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly podcast. Bring energy matters in an informal setting. ESG or environmental social governments is becoming increasingly important in the investor community with more scrutiny placed on sustainable investment. In this episode, we look in detail at the EU taxonomy and what it means for the wholesale energy markets in Europe. Joining me, Richard Sverison, is Nathan Fabian of PRI, or Principles of Responsible Investment. A warm welcome to you, Nathan. Hello, Richard. Good to be with you. I thought we could maybe start off by, you know, you could tell us about PRI and what you do and what the organization does. Yes, of course. The PRI is an investor association and it includes asset owners like pension funds and insurance companies, investment managers and service providers like investment consultants, uh, rating, ESG ratings companies and the like. Uh, It's the biggest of, of its type in the world in that we focus on ESG or sustainability issues. Uh, there are over 4,000 uh, investor members globally and over $100 trillion of assets in their portfolios. It's been around for 15 years and it's really starting to play a very important role in helping markets to understand how ESG and sustainability trends are coming into our market practices. So if we come on to the EU taxonomy, what is that and why is it important? I mean, there may be some listeners who haven't heard of it, although it's, you know, it's becoming certainly this year, it was very prominent. But uh, if you were to put it in a nutshell, Nathan, how would you describe the EU taxonomy? So the taxonomy is a, a European Union regulation, and it is essentially an environmental performance benchmark for different economic activities. And the benchmark is referenced to EU environmental goals. For example, on climate mitigation, the 2030 uh, minus 55% goal and the 2050 net zero goal. And the idea is that you can work out what level of emissions or energy performance an economic activity must have if it is to contribute to the achievement of these 2030 and 2050 goals. And so with this benchmark being developed, uh, by uh, environmental and uh, financial uh, experts, it becomes a, a resource that's used as part of financial disclosure obligations in Europe. And so this is where it becomes a practical thing for markets. Any issuer of a financial product that claims that they're considering environmental factors would have to disclose what proportion of their underlying investments meet the environmental benchmark in the taxonomy criteria. So typically, if I had an equity or or a a debt portfolio fund and I offered that to the market and I said I considered ESG factors, I'd need to give an assessment and I might find that 20% of my portfolio meets the what we call substantial contribution criteria, the green criteria, if you like, in the taxonomy. And I use that statement to verify my claim that the product, the investment product considers environmental factors. So it's not a risk return parameter. It is solely an environmental performance parameter. 
uh, and it has to be conducted by every financial product issuer uh, from 2022. So interesting. I mean, is this part of a greater emphasis on ESG within the energy sector? I mean, because we've seen maybe, is it, does it lag behind some other sectors, would you say, Nathan? Well, we've been talking for a long time in the energy sector about what the emissions goals are going to mean. Uh, but the energy sector, I think, has been a bit less precise on some of the short-term steps that have to be taken. I think that if that was the past situation, the recent IEA 1.5 scenario really lays bare some of the implications of what a net zero 2050 world looks like. So I think this conversation is accelerating very quickly. Now, I mean, I draw a contrast, I guess, sectors like transport, which you know, we've got a, a fairly quickly moving conversation around uh, electric uh, transport now. And in the building sector, I think we've been talking about energy efficiency in building for a long time in order to bring emissions and energy use down. So I wouldn't say the energy sector is behind, but the implications of a net zero transition, and whatever your view is on the realism of that, but as policymakers are starting to commit to it, I think that's what's changed. And now we're starting to see how steep some of these curves are for the energy sector. What are the criteria for inclusion, if I can put it in that way, you know, to, if you're going to have gas or you know, wind or, or, or some of these investments into, say, a wind, offshore wind park, what, what would be the criteria for in, in terms of the ta EU taxonomy rules? The energy criteria in the taxonomy were basically a result of calculating the potential intensity of each kilowatt hour generated by expected demand in 2030 uh, and then considering the longer-term 2050 goal and the expected life of assets. So that's the basic methodology. If you look at that maths, you end up with an average grid intensity of 100 grams per kilowatt hour by 2030 to be broadly consistent with the EU's 2030 goal. So uh, our experts determined that if an investment in energy wanted to claim that it was environmentally friendly today, that it was making a substantial contribution, that is to the 2030 target in Europe, it would need to operate below 100 grams per kilowatt hour. Now, we know that that's basically renewables. It's some geothermal. It's most hydro. Uh, but, of course, uh, combined cycle gas turbine can't get to that level at the moment. It may never. That's the question to be seen. And, of course, we know that, well, in the taxonomy at least, uh, solid fossil fuels like coal basically has been excluded. They, they, were, they were not even a starter in the, in the game. And so the energy criteria across all energy sources is 100 grams to be substantially contributing or green. And we have this additional layer, this so-called do no significant harm criteria. And that's currently sitting on 270 grams per kilowatt hour uh, of CO2 equivalent gases. And that number was basically the average grid intensity at the time the criteria developed, which is about a year ago now, so in uh, late 2019. And so these criteria are quite straightforward, but they're meant to give an indication to the market about how well you have to perform environmentally to be able to claim that you're genuinely green. And so that is the basis of the energy criteria, and these types of criteria appear uh, or, or are applied for every sector in the economy. It's not just the energy sector. We're also at a stage now where post-COVID, uh, we have the recovery fund, the Green Deal. There's going to be a lot of investment needed in the coming years. So these criteria are going to be quite crucial for investors in, in choosing in what technology they'll put their money into. Well, I think they will play a part. Investors mm. know that they need to 
transition their exposures, if you like, in their portfolios because they want to align with the long-term goals where possible. But let's face it, investors and and banks, they're still there to earn financial returns. So they will Mm. consider these different aspects of their investment decision and they'll optimize. They'll make the best possible judgment. That will be different where an investor says, well, we only uh, invest your your funds in this product into uh, activities which we know are green, which we know are environmentally sustainable. You know, then it's quite clear it'll be a subset of, of technologies and, and uh, energy supply. But generally, the institutional market will consider a range of factors. My expectation mm-hmm. is that investors, oh, sorry, product issuers will start to try and ratchet up their exposure to the so-called green performance level. But if there is still earnings to be made from fossil fuels, or from higher emitting sectors, even if these these technologies are going to be on a sort of retirement pathway or an exit exit trajectory, if you like, over the next decade, then investors will still find ways to invest. I think what we're going to see in addition is that there may may be some reluctance to take the the big multi-decade bets on the higher emitting technologies because once you see what those reduction curves look like, committing yourselves to yourself to infrastructure or assets that are going to be around for for a long time introduces some stranded asset risk and so that's where we will start to see a little bit of shift as well those longer term those longer term uh, allocation decisions you mentioned hydro nathan and you said most hydro meets the 100 gram per kilowatt hour criteria what do you mean there most not all well they, so there is hydro criteria in the taxonomy that have been included in the first uh, legal text. Meeting the substantial contribution of 100 grams is actually relatively straightforward for hydro in Europe. There are some questions around what is called the do no significant harm criteria, say around biodiversity. And that's a feature of the taxonomy. I mean, if, if you didn't think it was sort of hard enough to say, well, well now we have an explicit environmental criteria, on climate mitigation, there's also this obligation to do no significant harm to biodiversity, to water, to pollution, other pollution levels, uh, and even to this idea of circular economy, which is not an issue so much for hydro, obviously. And so there's these two requirements. And so there's there's been a, a debate in Europe around whether some of the hydro assets, whether they've got risks or issues around biodiversity, but that takes nothing away from the substantial contribution question and, and those assets qualify on that basis. I know there was some in the Nordic region there were some fears that, you know, the hydropower production would be deemed unsustainable, which raised a few eyebrows and a number of concerns. Yeah, I think this is an important thing to realize about the taxonomy. Not everything in the in the economy is going to be classed as green. There's a lot of the economy, I mean putting aside the services, which have no significant footprint. A lot of the industrial activities might be operating in a reasonable, under reasonable parameters. So manufacturing, transport, and some energy activities as well. You know, a geothermal facility that's operating at 150 grams per kilowatt hour for its life cycle considerations, that's still got a clear role in the energy system. Now, when we're getting close to net zero, unless they've dealt with their methane issues, then there's clearly not. But there's clearly a multi-decade potential there for that asset. Now, that just demonstrates that even though that geothermal facility 
what wouldn't necessarily be called sustainable uh, at operating below 100 grams, there's still a clear role in the economy, in the energy system, and we're actually starting to propose some changes to the taxonomy just to make it clearer to everyone that just because you blow that 100 doesn't mean you don't have a role and it doesn't mean you're doing significant harm. And the platform on sustainable finance, which I chair, and the European Commission is going to respond to this need on the taxonomy in July uh, and by the end of 2021 with some proposals on how to better recognise these types of technologies and their performance. So that's the, the, the technologies that are in that corridor of 100 to 270 grams then? Is that uh, what you're saying? Spot on. Yeah, yeah. That's the space we need. Performing at that level is a reasonable thing to do in energy transition, consistent with the goals and the, and the Paris objectives and the EU 2030 and 2050 targets. We need to clearly signal that. The other thing that's legitimate is if you're emitting above 270, conducting investments to try and bring your performance below that do no significant harm threshold. And the market should see that as a valid environmental investment. And so we're developing the taxonomy to make sure that it's inclusive and it supports investments to improve uh, emissions performance in this way. So what's been signed off already and what's the time schedule here? So the criteria that we've been describing, and there's about 80 economic activity criteria for climate mitigation and uh, about the same again for climate adaptation, They've been adopted by the European Commission, which is the, the near to final step before they become law. They're going through what's called now a scrutiny period, which means the parliament and the member states could disagree with them, but not individual criteria. They basically have to say this whole regulation's off track. We don't support it. So that's not likely to happen. What will happen as a result is that by around about October, November 2021, the criteria will finally be embedded in a legal instrument and reporting for companies and investors starts in 2022. Okay, so that, that's the timescale. But there are, there are two elements I'd like to focus on. One, which have been quite controversial, and that is with gas. So you mentioned CGT, CCGTs earlier. What's the controversy around the inclusion of gas here or, or the non-inclusion even? So the reason this is controversial in terms of the taxonomy is that it does this very specific thing. It tells you what the performance of the economic activity and the assets within it should be in order to contribute to the environmental goals. That's a reasonable question for somebody allocating capital to a new asset to look at. And that's why the, the taxonomy is set up how it is. But if you're thinking about the energy network as a whole and you are maybe contemplating retiring, say, coal assets, as is happening in parts of, of Europe now, and you want to replace it with gas, which has a much lower emissions level, that on the face of it looks like a reasonable decision to make from an environmental perspective. The challenge, of course, arises that those individual assets, which might have a 20-year life or more, will be operating at an emissions intensity well above the average intensity, say, in 10, 15 years' time that you can have in the grid. And then you've got this question of, well, if we're allowing high emissions assets in some part of the energy system, we need to be zero or negative elsewhere. And then you start to lead to other you know, political questions that need to be resolved. So we just sort of need to distinguish the fact that the taxonomy talks about economic activity level and asset level performance and averages and what's green from that perspective. And then the question of energy transition as a whole and how to use that overall budget 
Lena, that's kind of a different question, and that must be solved separately uh, by policymakers. But this is where the tension has arisen. You know, who gets to claim this environmental space and why? And when you have the ETS, you think that that should be enough then to deem, you know, gas fire generation out of the money and uneconomic. So why do you need then these other criteria? Yeah, well, that's a, a really good question. And if the pricing reflects the expected trajectory, emissions trajectory, and this is not, you know, it's not precise, but it is possible to model what the necessary pricing would be, of course, then you'd argue that the, the pricing signal the risk return trigger in the market is giving you the environmental outcome you want. I think that if you think about environmental issues broadly, and and mitigation is just the start, we're going to be dealing with biodiversity, we're going to be dealing with other forms of pollutants, we're going to be dealing with water. The pricing signals don't always match the environmental goals. And I think this is the big awareness that's coming to Europe is that not only do they need to price and regulate, They need to have a system where the market can make its own decisions on environmental grounds because they're setting the headline goals and targets, but they haven't got the policies to meet them yet, such as regulation and pricing. So they need markets to start taking some of the risk of the environmental performance on their own decision making. And I think that's why you're seeing this parallel transparency, greenwashing, environmental performance benchmarking framework alongside the pricing. And we're going to basically be living in a world with both of these things going forward. But are markets going to take the risk of investing in gas-fired generation? It seems to, you know, there are countries, as you've mentioned, Eastern Europe, that need to transition away from coal. But you also have Germany, which is suddenly having a little bit of a supply crunch in the coming years as it exits both coal and and nuclear. But who's going to invest in gas-fired generation, especially if they're not going to be included in the taxonomy criteria? I think there's plenty of capital out there looking for a home in the, in the world at the moment. And if you look at the IEA forecast of early July, their forecasting, I think, was around 3.6% uptick in gas demand through the year. So there's going to, sorry, over 2020 levels. So there's going to be still price and demand elements here that influence the markets. And so there'll be some capital that finds that attractive. I don't see it any other way. I, I think that even institutional investors who are part of the PRI and make commitments to consider sustainability issues, they're still going to make judgments around the energy system as a whole and sort of a transitional pathway if they see some advantage in holding gas assets or supporting their development for a period of time. Well, I imagine they'll be expected to be compensated for that if they see some risk at the end of the life of those assets. And I guess that's where it'll come through. There's a supply of capital. Maybe we'll start to see some pricing impacts on that capital. Interesting. I mean, a nuclear, where does that stand in terms of the EU taxonomy, Nathan? Yeah, well, nuclear is really interesting. And I think it's got this obvious and undoubted substantial contribution for a climate mitigation perspective. But in addition to the mitigation question, we've, remember, we've got this do no significant harm part of the taxonomy. And there are these other risks, like a pollution risk, for example. And because it's very hard to say with certainty that when it comes to nuclear waste, the storage facilities, the long-term storage facilities will adequately address that because of the lack of evidence base. It's very hard for the, for the scientists and the technical advisors to say with certainty that there's not a do no significant harm risk. Now, having said that, the European Commission has decided to take on additional studies and additional review processes and 
in July will give further evidence and analysis on this significant harm risk. So that sort of deals with the, the science dimension of it. And those reviews might allow nuclear to move forward in the taxonomy because of its obvious benefit for climate mitigation. The other layer, of course, in Europe is that you've got these diametrically opposed political positions uh, between different countries. And so whether or not Europe can agree a framework which deals with the risk management questions around nuclear facilities and fuel cycle and also allows the different political jurisdictions to maintain some autonomy over their energy policy and their outlook on European energy policy, you know, that's still going to be a challenging question. But at least we should make some step forward on the technical side of this uh, through July 2021. So what are the likely outcomes for the end of this year? So we... Uh, should have criteria that are being prepared by by companies as as issuers and financial product issuers to make their disclosures in 2022. There also should be a resolution on this gas and nuclear question, or at least the, the contours of that should be pretty clear by by the end of 2021. I think we start then to look into some of the broader issues that flow from this type of reform, and that becomes an international question. So which other jurisdictions are following similar approaches and are trying to harmonise? And we're seeing some progress on that already. Several countries have announced their own taxonomy work, Canada uh, being one of them. Japan is working on their own. The UK is developing, but will probably closely follow the UK, pardon me, follow the EU. Uh, So that international question is quite important. And then, believe it or not, we're going to be going into other areas of this ESG puzzle. So the potential uh, for future social contribution criteria as well. Less an issue for the energy sector in terms of emissions, obviously, but potentially another avenue for the energy sector to demonstrate its social role. And when it comes to questions that are important to the investment sector, increasingly like just transition questions, like dealing with the social issues around energy sector transition, this is something that really resonates with the institutional investment community. So the ability to bring in some kind of social contribution criteria as we deal with energy transition is going to open up a new way of communicating uh, in the market about how we're contributing to sustainability objectives. So I know it can seem like a lot to deal with, but it's pretty clear that Europe, at least, and several other countries are committed to this direction of travel. So any time spent on this is is well spent. Absolutely. And uh, when you talk about social issues in the energy sector, what, what do you mean there, Nathan, specifically? What kind of aspects there? I mean, the environmental is clear to see, but uh, what about the social parts? So when we are changing our energy networks, if we're changing our access to our energy reserves, uh, so fossil fuel reserves, for example, and you've got communities and workforces uh, employed to produce these assets. But if you're changing the demand profile in the market for these sources of energy, then you change the where you need your workforces. Uh, sometimes they're remote communities. There's a range of issues around you know, the value of the private housing in the in the local region to the Reskilling and redeployment of staff, and these are these are challenging questions. Uh, and so, if we can work out a better way to think about the social transition around energy transition, then it's likely we're going to have a better chance at some kind of orderly transition. So, these are some of the issues we try to unpack. Excellent, Nathan. Thank you very much for for enlightening us on the EU taxonomy and what it means for the energy sector. 
Good to talk to you, Richard. So listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct message any suggestions, questions, or, you know, let us know if you if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye.